This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where we're now just three weeks away from Christmas and six weeks away from the start of the legislative session, which is sort of like Christmas on steroids for the lobbying corps. Backers of a constitutional amendment to abolish the closed primary system in Florida have enough signatures to get on the ballot next year. But there are more hurdles ahead, including a stop tomorrow at the Florida Supreme Court. The ACLU is suing the state to get access to public records on the prison system. They asked for them nicely, but never heard back from the Department of Corrections. What's all this about a beefy bromance between Donald Trump and a shirtless Ron DeSantis? Don't call it a lie. It's a misstatement. We'll also be talking with the woman behind the Little Black Dress Initiative, and this has nothing to do with the Level 8 Lounge at the Hotel Duval. It's a, quote, week-long initiative that harnesses the power of social media to illustrate the restrictions poverty places on choices, opportunities, and access to resources. We'll also have your calendar of events and your regular update on Florida Man, including the Florida woman who single-handedly changed the course of an airliner in a failed attempt to get a bigger seat. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, December 2nd. A proposition to open Florida's closed primary system has enough signatures to make the ballot next year. The constitutional amendment is called All Voters Vote, and that's exactly what it does, allowing voters to cast a ballot in primary elections regardless of their party affiliation. The change would put all of the candidates, regardless of their party, on one primary ballot. Supporters call it a blanket primary. Opponents call it a jungle primary. Whatever you call it, the two candidates who do the best then face off in the general election. Glenn Burns chairs the Political Action Committee, the draft of the amendment. And he says the current system disenfranchises more than three and a half million Floridians who are registered as NPAs, no party affiliation. It's a problem because 28 percent of registered voters are excluded from primary elections, meaning they have no voice in some of the most important elections that we have, because oftentimes the primary election is going to determine the general election result. And your amendment would change that in what way? Well, it does um, two things primarily. First, it creates a, um, a primary where all voters, regardless of their political party affiliation or lack of affiliation, vote in the primary for governor, legislature, and cabinet. And it also places all of the candidates for those offices, the respective offices, on the same ballot that the bo- voters can choose from, also regardless of the candidate's party affiliation or lack of affiliation. From there, uh, the top two vote-getters And that primary will advance to the general election. And, of course, both of the political parties absolutely hate this, right? They're very fearful of letting all voters vote, apparently. What do you think the problem is there? Just protecting their own turf? They are. It's a turf battle. It's a little bit maybe fear of the unknown for them because they think they're going to lose power. Actually, I think this will help empower not only voters, but the parties who embrace this system and start speaking to a greater swath of voters in the primary elections. The All Voters Vote Committee had to submit 766,200 verified signatures to earn a spot on the November ballot. As of last night, they had exceeded that goal by 1,282 signatures. But it is not a done deal. For starters, the Florida Supreme Court still has to weigh in. Oral arguments are scheduled to take place tomorrow in Tallahassee. The justices are not concerned if this is a good idea or a bad idea. Their only job at this point is to decide if the ballot title and the summary give voters an accurate description of what the amendment actually does. They also have to decide if the amendment is limited to a single subject. If the Supreme Court signs off, the issue then goes to the voters, and it takes 60 percent of them to pass a constitutional amendment. However, recent surveys have shown fewer than half the voters seem to support the idea of open primaries. 
The Florida branch of the American Civil Liberties Union is suing the state for documents from the Department of Corrections. The ACLU made a public records request back in September, never received an answer, so the lawsuit filed in Leon County Circuit Court is the next step in the process. The Civil Rights Watchdog Group is seeking information to better understand racial disparities within Florida prisons, including prison demographics, charged offenses, tentative release dates, and information the Department of Corrections uses to calculate tentative release dates. In their brief, lawyers for the ACLU say the group is concerned about what it calls over-incarceration in our state, as well as the racial disparity of those incarcerated. They also hint that it should have been a no-brainer because all the information they've requested is on the database at the Department of Corrections. It's been almost a week now since Donald Trump's big homecoming rally in South Florida. On Election Day 2020, the crazy Democrats are going down in a landslide. And that landslide is going to start right here in the great state of Florida. Along with calling Democrats crazy, Trump said just about everything you expect at one of these events. It was a live-action version of his Twitter feed. But one thing you might not have expected was the president's blossoming bromance with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. But here's a quick story. I shouldn't say it because, you know, I don't want to say this, but what the hell, right? So, you know, Ron's been a friend of mine for a long time. He was a congressman, did an incredible job, always protecting me from the Russia witch hunted beyond with these guys, with Matt and everybody. And now this is one of the most popular governors. But I always thought Ron was a little bit heavy. And then one day I'm with him and I pat him on the shoulder and I go, whoa, that's strong. That's a lot of muscle there. My hand didn't sink in like it does with a lot of people. And then I see him without a shirt one day. And this guy is strong and he's not fat. That's all power. That's all muscle. I want to tell you that. And I said, Ron, you're one of the few I say it to. Don't walk around with a jacket all the time. Take it off. People are going to see the real Ron. But he's a great guy. He's a tough guy. He's a brilliant guy. And he's our governor. And I'm very proud. When we got involved with Ron, a lot of people were saying, do you think he can make it? I said, he's going to make it because he's a champ, he's a winner. And I want you to say a few words. Ron, thank you. Thank you. Great to be with you all. And let me just say, Mr. President, given your change of registration, welcome home to Florida. There is a lot to unpack here, but the first question is, where in the world did Trump see DeSantis without a shirt? True, they have played golf together, but really that's not the sort of thing you do topless. The governor's communications director claims the president evidently meant to say he saw DeSantis without a jacket, not without a shirt. So if you're keeping score, this comment does not belong on the list of lies. It goes in the misspoken pile. Next up, we talk with Caitlin Moore about the Little Black Dress Initiative, and I get the feeling some of you just perked up. Hold that thought while we pay some bills. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash FLAPOL. 
Next up on Sunrise, a conversation with Caitlin Moore with the Junior League of Tallahassee. And yeah, I know you're thinking Junior League. Come on, give me a break, guys. This is important stuff here. Uh, Caitlin, tell me about this campaign you've got coming up called the Little Black Dress Initiative. So the Junior League of Tallahassee, as well as our sustainers and our um, com community advocates, participate in a week-long campaign. It's an awareness and a fundraising campaign to illustrate the restrictions that poverty can place on choices and opportunities and access to resources. So everybody participating wears a button that will prompt a question, either ask me about my outfit or ask me about my dress. And those who can participate will wear either a little black dress or a black outfit to prompt conversation, to bring awareness to food insecurity and the choices that poverty places. So when you prompt the conversation, you then proceed to tell them what? We'll tell them about how Leon County even though we've seen a 3% decrease in the amount of food insecurity we have over, since 2017, we are still the fourth most food insecure county in um, the state of Florida. And food insecurity means? Means what? we've got um, a population that unless they have um, access through work or school for food, they don't eat three meals a day. Okay. They don't have the financial capacity to afford to feed their family or to feed themselves three three meals a day. Okay. And so what happens with it, with what happens with how about that for being redundant eh? <laughs> All the money that's collected through this campaign, what happens with that? So 100% of the funds that's collected through this campaign goes back into the league and their initiative um, to bring basic needs, which is food, shelter, and clothing to um, the community that is um, below the poverty line. And the first $10,000 of this particular fund this year is going to a campaign or a mission that the league is putting on for the first year this year called Mighty Meals. And the mission of Mighty Meals is to alleviate food insecurity for elementary age children and their families during spring break. We've learned through Leon County Schools and um, the guidance counselors there that there are families and children that during that week, if they don't have access to the food that's provided through their school, they won't eat. And so we would like to um, provide Mighty Meal boxes containing nutritious food for the family um, of four for a week. So 84 meals, uh, the approximate cost of that box is about $200. Okay. And so for the first $10,000, we're going to put towards all of those boxes. And then um, beyond that... The rest of the funds will go through our you know, resources to continue our partnership with other community partners, such as Second Harvest and um, another campaign we do called Kids Boutique. Now, this is not the Several. first time you've done it, right? Correct. This okay. is our Tallahassee's fourth year participating in the initiative. How's the track record on that? It's fantastic. So um, we, our first year, I believe we raised in excess of 10,000. Our second year, we doubled that at 20. Last year, we were at over 22,000. Our goal for this year is over 28,000. Wow. So if someone wants to get involved in this program, they show up today at the Red Eye Coffee in Tallahassee, correct? Yes. We will be here from 7 a.m. until around 9 a.m. We'll have a group of uh, leaguers and community advocates and um, community partners here decked out in black dresses and for those of us who can't we're still wearing our buttons or participating on social media but we'll have all of the information and all of the resources needed to participate we have toolkits to make this initiative as easy as possible for everybody to be able to play a part 
in helping our community. And this is happening in Tallahassee, but it's not just a Tallahassee project, correct? Other junior leagues around the state do this? Correct. Other junior leagues around the nation do this. It was an initiative that was kicked off um, by the league in 2014, and uh, there's leagues all over that participate. And it's different week for each league. We just um, selected this one because we liked to involve the Giving Tuesday aspect. You do not have to be a member of the Junior League. You don't have to be a female. You don't have to wear a little black dress or a black outfit to participate. There are so many um, ways that you can participate. Even just contributing to the campaign, I will say, or I'd like to say that $20 can provide um, a family of four a meal and just that small amount of funding can make such a huge impact in our community. So every penny counts and everybody counts. So participate if you can. Our guest today has been Caitlin Moore with the Junior League of Tallahassee talking about the Little Black Dress Initiative. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio, Caitlin. Thank you for having us. Your calendar of events today starts with the Florida Department of Elder Affairs. Their advisory council is holding a conference call at 10 a.m. Florida Tax Watch will start its annual meeting at noon in Palm Beach at the Breakers. Governor Ron DeSantis, Congressman Brian Mast, Visit Florida CEO Dana Young, and Department of Environmental Protection Secretary Noah Valenstein are among the guest speakers. Governor DeSantis and the Florida Cabinet will hold a conference call at 1.30 this afternoon to talk about appointing a commissioner to the Office of Financial Regulation. That job has been open since July when former Commissioner Ronald Rubin was fired amid allegations of sexual harassment. Rubin has denied those allegations. The trustees of Seminole State College hold a work session with officials from the Seminole County School Boards. That's happening this afternoon at 2. And the trustees of Polk State College are meeting at 4 in Winter Haven. And time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. Police in Pensacola say an American Airlines flight bound for Miami had to return to the airport because a Florida woman faked a medical condition once they were airborne in hopes of getting a bigger seat. Instead of moving her, the pilot declared an emergency and headed back to Pensacola. Once they landed, the plane was evacuated, but the woman refused to leave until the pilot talked her into it. Criminal charges have not been filed yet, but because of the things she was saying, the woman was Baker acted, which means she was locked up against her will for a psychiatric exam. We're not sure who she is or where she's from. That information has not been released, but based on her behavior, she qualifies as a Florida woman. Finally, a Florida man is accused of beating up his Uber driver with a water bottle, a car antenna, and a cane that belonged to an elderly bypasser. Authorities say Denzel Johnson of St. Petersburg was angry that the driver tried to end his ride and attacked him with a water bottle. Once he got out of the car, witnesses say Johnson snapped off the antenna and hit the driver on the shoulder. Then police say he grabbed a cane from an elderly man and used it to hit the driver again. Johnson is charged with criminal mischief and aggravated battery. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. We're back in the morning with a brand new episode.